drink that truth in for a few moments. Just allow it to move your heart. Think about the unfailing love of God. Hasn't God been good to us? Isn't God good to us? God is so good to us. And uh, God is at work among us in powerful ways. People are getting saved week by week. and People are growing. People are turning from sin. Not just in our church, but in many churches. The, the reports are that God is very much at work. This is a, an interesting time, I think, in history where uh, God is bringing in a, a, a large harvest of people. And I really think that uh, it's exciting because uh, not for the least of which is we care about the hearts of the lost and people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, but, but also that um, what we see in your hearts is a real hunger and thirst for God and, and uh, a preparation and equipping. And uh, as we see several hundred people here on Wednesday night uh, just training and equipping. And I know some of you would be here if you could. You have other things that, you, that are, are in, the, in the way, but um, we know that your hearts are with us. And, and um, you know, uh, in this great move of God as, as he's directing us and moving us forward, uh, he is surprising us with all kinds of different things and possibilities and, and opportunities. And I just want to take a few moments before... Um, the, uh, what God has laid on my heart from his word this morning and just uh, update you on, on a little bit of what's going on here with our congregation. And, and uh, many of you are aware, some of you are not, but um, the property immediately south of us across Roslyn Road, the Hillsdale Church, has been put for, up for sale. That property is for sale. And um, we have been renting that property now for over a year for the overflow of some of our ministry needs. And uh, we have been invited uh, to put a bid in on that property, uh, not this Monday, but next Monday night. And that crowds things in a little bit for us, but that's just the way it is because there are two other interested parties that are also bidding for that property. And so we don't have uh, the time or the, the luxury of having a long, drawn-out sales pitch and marketing program and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, we just have to seek the heart and the mind of God in a, a very short order of time. And uh, in fact, we don't have, because of our or incorporation legalities, even the, enough time to call an official church meeting. But as pastor, I get this special privilege of calling you to a meeting anytime I want, because we can, call, we can come into our church building and all of us gather and, and call. And so um, it seems to me that this is a critical time in our ministry, perhaps one of the most important decisions we've uh, had to make in the last 30 plus years is to... Uh, understand what God has for us. What is his direction for us? Does he want us to expand our footprint? And is, is the ministry of the future related to, uh, uh, to increasing the, the size of the resourcing that we have and all of that? And so um, between this Monday and next Monday when we have to submit something, if we are going to, it seems to me we must come together and call out to the Lord and ask him what he wants us to do. And so the most obvious time for that, it would seem to, to me, is because we already have a meeting scheduled here for or Wednesday night, and several hundred of you are here already anyway, from that 7 to 9 window, that at 9.15, I'm calling what I've never asked you to do before, but I'm calling a, a sacred assembly to come together. I'm asking everybody, not just members, if you're part of this church family, if this is where you, you uh, uh, learn about the Lord and, and minister here, I'm, I'm asking you all to come at 9.15 Wednesday. And those of you who are here to stay, 
Um, and we, we will give you as much information as we can. We can't give you all the information because of obvious reasons. We'll talk to you about that. But, but, um, but primarily the purpose is to call out to the Lord and ask him what does he want for us. And um, I know that some of you, that's late 9.15 because you have children and all who need to go to bed and stuff like that. So, so maybe one of you has to stay home with the children, but please send one member at least from each family. And if you know somebody who's not here and they're part of your family, part of your influence, please tell them about this today and, and ask them to be here. That's 9.15 this Wednesday night. We will send out... Um, information to those of you whose contacts we have to remind you, but, but this is a really, really critical time for us. This is not something to trifle with. As I was involved in my devotions this week, it just so happened that, that um, I came upon the section uh, where the Gibeonites were, were seeking to trick Israel into allowing them to be part of their, part of their uh, community. And um, it says in the text there that that the people of Israel made a covenant with the Gibeonites without seeking the counsel of God. And so business meetings, marketing, sales, all of that is all important and, and, and significant. But honestly, this is about God. He either wants us to do this or he doesn't want us to do this. And the only way we're going to find that out is to come together, all of us, and call out to the Lord and say, God, what do you want for us? What do you have for us? Is this the, is this to throw, are we to throw the nets on the right side of the boat? Is this, what you, is this a righteous opportunity for us or not? And so the only way we can know that is to come and call out to the Lord and ask him what he wants us to do. So uh, we need you to come at 9.15 this Wednesday, and we won't keep you a long time, but it'll be an important time for us, a critical time for us to pray and ask God what he wants. Our Father, we submit to you, the Lord Jesus Christ, as Lord of the church. And you are in charge of all things. You are in charge of this ministry. You know the beginning from the end. You know what, is, what you want us to accomplish over the coming years. You know the resources that we're going to need to accomplish your will. We don't know fully what you want for us. We don't know what you have for us. We don't know what the future holds but we know who holds the future. And so, Lord, what people in all the earth have this great privilege of coming together and calling out to the God of the universe who's in charge of all things and asking him for his opinion on things? Lord, who, who else gets to do that? Who else can have the confidence to know that the God of the universe has said yes or no and this is how we move? Oh, God, we pray and thank you. And now, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, I pray that you would bless it to our hearts and strengthen us uh, with a resolve for a fresh passion for you, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. When I think about the disciple Peter, I think about that profound poem that we all knew from the days of being children, that profound children's poem, Humpty Dumpty. You know that one? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And uh, when I think about Peter, I place his name in place of Humpty Dumpty. The apostle Peter sat on a wall. And, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put the Apostle Peter back together again, but Jesus could. 
And you know, as I think about the story of Peter, I think about the life of, of, the, of the apostle, the disciple Peter, I think of his story being the story of most of us. Most of us have in somewhere in our life been on that wall or whatever, and we've fallen and been broken. And all kinds of effort has been put into putting us back together, and we've tried all kinds of things, but there's only one who can put us back together. All the king's horses and all the king's men can't put Rick together again, but Jesus can. Isn't that the testimony of your life? It's the testimony of our lives. But there was a very important moment in Peter's life that I want to track with you this morning in John chapter 21. It was really the emotional moment when Jesus said to Peter, I'm putting you back together again, Peter. In John chapter 21, there's an amazing and timeless example here in this text of how and what Jesus does to put us back, not only together again, but passionately so. We're not just glued back together. We are passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And we also know and we learn as we study the things of God that we are called, and we learned this last Sunday, if you were here, the first part of chapter 21, that we are called to be kingdom recruiters. That's our MO. That's who we are. We may have other calls in life, other jobs, other responsibilities and professions and all of that, but fundamentally we're called to go and make disciples. We're called to be kingdom recruiters, and we know that. But as we were told last Wednesday night by our trainer here from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association that, uh, now th these are the numbers that they're using, uh, that 95% of all believers have never ever shared their faith with anyone. Now, I don't know where they get their numbers and, you know, numbers are debatable and all of that and I, I find the 95% number really staggering and hard to comprehend and appreciate because... Surely we've all shared the gospel, at least with our children, but maybe we haven't. But we all know that we're called to be kingdom recruiters, but in our heart of hearts, we, we agonize with that and we wonder, why don't I have a greater passion for that? Why, why does it feel so hard? Why does it feel so foreign? Why, why, is it, why do we have to come to classes to learn about sharing our faith? I mean, I mean is, is it... What, what is it that, that is missing in our lives? And there's a text in the scriptures where Jesus talked to his disciples and gave them maybe an insight uh, on, on what has gone wonky here in our lives and perhaps would go in theirs. In John chapter 16, verse 22, Jesus said this to his disciples, Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. I think there's something very important in this verse that perhaps has eluded us in our lives, in our daily lives for Christ, and that these two words are rejoice and joy. And this was to be an ongoing heart condition. Prior to uh, the crucifixion, Jesus talks to his disciples and said, the crucifixion is coming, this will be your time of grief, but there is coming a time uh, post-crucifixion, I'll be with you, you'll see me again, and it will be enduring joy and rejoicing. It seems to me that that may relate to the missing ingredient in our lives as to why we don't embrace kingdom recruiting so naturally or easily. We aren't fully apprehending in our lives that joy and rejoicing of what Christ is talking about here. 
We all know that when we are excited and joyful about something, we don't have to be commanded to go and tell people about it. I mean, when that first grandson of mine showed up, he had to come and say to me, now, you've got to go out and evangelize about that kid. You've got to go tell your neighbors and your friends and all that kind of stuff. Nobody had to tell me to do that. It was like, hey, I got this new grandson. He's amazing. You, you're just talking about him, taking pictures of him. Look, you want to see? People don't even want to see, but you're telling them about it, right? Oh, I just happen to have him on my phone here if you're interested. They're not, but they feign that they are. Oh, please show me your grandson like we care. But anyway, you show him, and it's like, isn't he great? Isn't he the best-looking baby you've ever seen? Oh, sure, your kid's the cutest, you know, and all the rest of ours are ugly. But, you know, and so we don't, we don't have to be told this. This just comes naturally because it's the overflow of joy and rejoicing in our heart. You, you guys, a lot of you guys up here know that. You've experienced that. You're still waiting for that experience? It's on its way, perhaps. It's on its way. He doesn't have to wait all that long. Oh, come on, Arnold, relax. The, the wedding is coming up in a month. Nine months after that, we should expect the rejoicing to come, right? We don't have to be told about that. It's, it's the joy issue now. I wonder, as I'm thinking about all of this and this particular text, we're going to read it in a few moments, if there aren't two things that are in the way of our caring about evangelism. And they have to do with our, emotional, our emotions. Two things that are in the way of caring about evangelism. One is the matter of guilt. Too many of us are not really sensing the truth of our freedom. And we don't feel liberated and free to talk about Christ because we're embarrassed to even face Christ because of our guilt. And so we don't have joy. We live with guilt. And the second is that, that the matter of competing loves. We don't recruit for the kingdom of Christ because we have other things that are in the way that we love with greater joy and greater rejoicing. And I really believe fully in my heart as we look at this John 21 text and as it relates to your life that Jesus Christ is going to deal with both of these two barriers and obstacles and hurdles to evangelism in your life if you will allow him. So that you will know what it is to have the enduring joy and rejoicing and experience of sharing the greatness of Christ. Most Christians struggle to get past the first obstacle of guilt and live defeated lives. We've all failed the Lord, all of us. That's why we needed to come to faith in Christ. We've all failed the Lord, and we fail him miserably often. And one night, weeks before the crucifixion of Christ, Peter, the apostle Peter, the disciple Peter, tanked. Failed the Lord miserably. Evangelism. How could he even think about evangelism? He had denied his very association personally with Jesus Christ, let alone evangelize. And so Jesus in this chapter shows up after the resurrection. And he's standing on the seashore of the Sea of Galilee. The disciples don't recognize him. But when they did, it says in the text that Peter jumped out of the boat. They were about 100 yards out 
in the Sea of Galilee. He jumped out of the boat and rushed toward the Lord. It is the Lord. Now, as he was on his way into, into the shore, a uh, familiar odor grabbed hold of his nostrils. It says in the text there that Jesus had made a charcoal, a burning charcoal pit. Before he saw the fire, he smelled it. This is no accident. This is no coincidence. This is sovereignly orchestrated by Jesus on purpose. The last time Peter had smelt that smell was the night he was standing by a charcoal burning fire pit warming himself when a servant girl said, hey, you're, you're one of them. You're one of those disciples of Jesus. He said, no, I'm not. Three times he denied his Lord that night. Beside a burning charcoal fire pit. And so as he came upon the Lord that particular day, the reminder of his failures and his guilt about his failures was forced upon him on purpose. When it counted, he had failed Jesus miserably. And he's been operating ever since from his brokenness. Perhaps that's your case as well. I want to ask you this morning as a first stab at why you may struggle with evangelism. Have you ever faced the smell of your own smoking charcoal pit? It says in the text that, um, verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. But it was Simon Peter who climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. All by himself is full of large fish, 153 and a heavy net. And this bull of a man grabs hold of it and in, in his own strength just drags it onto the shore. Peter was good at relying on his own strength. He was relying on his own strength that night by the fire pit. And he had failed the Lord miserably. And now he is recognizing that Jesus Christ is inviting him to get back in business. Friends, listen, Jesus doesn't ruin people. He restores the ruined. That's what he does. That's who he is. Too many of us are attempting to minister from our brokenness instead 
of ministering from the platform of our forgiveness with joy and rejoicing. Many of us are still trapped in the guilt of our brokenness and it makes us hard. It makes us unforgiving of others. It makes us think that we have to work really hard to gain Jesus' approval because we have failed him so miserably. And the idea of mobilizing our lives to actually recruiting for the kingdom is impossible because we are riddled with guilt. I'm not teaching here, nor is Jesus giving any idea that, that there's a license for us to sin in a serial way and just keep on sinning. That's not what it's all about. But I am saying to you, if the cross means anything, it means this. We have been forgiven and that is our joy and our rejoicing while all the other people of the world who live around us are desperate in their guilt we get to minister from the platform of our forgiveness and it's energizing it liberates us the grace of God reality is this that Christ hasn't forgotten but he's forgiven us that fire pit was not accidental. That was, as I said, the sovereignly placed there by Jesus to remind Peter, I haven't forgotten about that night by the fire pit with that servant girl. I haven't forgotten about that. But Peter, I've forgiven you of that. Now get up. Get back to work. I'm entrusting you with the work of the kingdom of God. Oh, I'm so broken, Peter's living. But no, no, Peter, you're so forgiven. Now rejoice. There was a time for grief. Now there's a time for joy and rejoicing. Forgiven in Christ, we are made whole. Guilt doesn't motivate, it debilitates. The lost are guilty. The saved were, but are no more. remember what um, Jesus taught Peter earlier Peter this is how people love me those who are forgiven much what does it say love much those who are forgiven much Peter love much so bring some fish to me grab hold of my grace and say goodbye to your self-loathing we have a lot of people to rescue. So Jesus really loves us. We know that. that that's, that's what's coming out of this. But, and he lavishes his grace upon us, and we know this, but the crucial question for Christian life and witness effectiveness is now raised to Peter and is going to be asked of us. Peter, do you love me more than these? We don't exactly know what Jesus was pointing at or referring to. Could have been his other disciple buddies. It could have been his fishing business. It doesn't really matter what it was. Jesus is asking an exclusive love question. Peter, do you love me more than anything else? 
And that question isn't just asked of Peter. That's asked of us. Rick, do you love me more than fill in the blank? Because it's not an option. We know that we are commanded to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our body. And we know that. We were told that command, but that, that command continues to gnaw at us. If you're normal like the rest of us, love the Lord my God with all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my body and all of my strength. Do I? And regularly we're left feeling that we fall so far short of what that would look like. It's the same question. Do you love me more than these? And so there it is, the command. It's not an option for us. What do we do with that? The Lord wouldn't command us to do something that we can't do. But why don't we? Have you encountered the grace of loving God over competing interests? That's the second thing, the second barrier, the second, second obstacle. Is Jesus your joy? Because the simple truth is Christ as our holy desire is the only strategy for effective Christian life and witness. It won't happen unless he is our joy, he is our desire, he is our all in all. He commands us, but let's be honest. Most of us are feeling pretty far short of that. And it affects us in our passion or lack thereof toward evangelism, toward recruiting for the kingdom. How do you deal with your competing dreams? Peter had a dream. It wasn't to go back fishing. He thought by now he would be in some pretty elevated position in some sort of kingdom authority over the international reality of the world. So, so how, how do you love the Lord with all of your heart when he seems to let your grand dream disappear and invites you to another one? We have become people who are in the habit of out of duty serving the Lord. Well, we are commanded to do this. We're commanded to go and reach lost people, so I will, out of duty, bear this burden. How's that worked for you? How did it work for Peter? I mean, he was, he was, he had lots of, his, his teeth clenched and his fists clenched, and I'm going to serve Jesus. Uh, there's no way, Lord, if, if everybody else abandons you, I'll die for you no matter what. I've got the strength and the willpower. I'm going to, by, by my determination, love you and serve you. Fifteen minutes later, he's denying that he even knows the man. Duty makes us cowards really quickly. If that's our motivation. And dreams, our own dreams, they get in the way of our loyalty to Christ. So will we grow in love through guilt and fear? Will we grow in love simply because we're commanded to love? 
I think many of us have assumed incorrectly that love comes naturally because that's, for the most part, how it grows in our own family and our own lives. We grow in love with people, whether it be our spouse or our children. At least sometimes we love our children. Is that how we are to respond to the command of God to love him? How well do commands work? You must love me. I'm your father, Jordan. You must love me. How well does that work? Does that work? So Jesus meets with Peter and, and after this fire pit event and says um, three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? Now, I know most of you have heard the sermon of these loves and you've heard, you know, Peter uses a different word of love and Jesus uses a different word and we've all played gymnastics with the Greek and all of that kind of stuff and it's interesting. But what if Jesus was talking to Peter in Aramaic and not Greek? He might have been. And in the Aramaic, Scott, there are no subtle nuances between the word love. It's more like our thing. Maybe it's just about love. Maybe that's what he's really asking him. Do you really love me, Peter? course I love you Lord you know all things I love you and by the third time he was hurt do we love naturally is that how it comes were we saved naturally no are we grown in Christ are we sanctified naturally no then why in the world would we think that we can love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart mind soul and body naturally. Do the scriptures teach this? No, they don't. In Romans 5, 5, for instance, this love that we're talking about does not come from free will choice, but by God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. At salvation, you become loaded with the raw material necessary to fulfill the command to love. But here's the catch. Here's the clinker. Here's what few of us really embrace or understand. John Piper nicely brings it out when he says this, like everything else, we must become utterly dependent on God for the awakening of love for God. We've missed the critical trigger point. We're frustrated about this because we have missed, like every other command in the scriptures, we can only obey and experience by God's grace, by urgently seeking God's help, by urgently seeking God's available help, his grace. I was reading about Augustine um, this week, and it was, it was a heart-expanding uh, or, or event for me. Let me read a couple of quotes from Augustine. He, he got this. He understood this. Lord, I will only love you and care about you more than these if you, by your grace, make it so in my heart. You catching this? Give me the grace, Augustine said, to do what you command and command me to do what you will. He goes on to say this, by grace we are healed, by grace we are stirred up, by grace we are helped. 
The key to the cause and passion of evangelism is wrapped up right here. It's by asking the Lord himself to enable us to love him the way he wants. It seems so simple, and yet it's so profound, and yet it's regularly not embraced. This love won't come naturally. Just because Christ commanded it doesn't mean it's going to happen. We have to ask the Lord to cause him and him alone to be the great holy desire of my life. Lord God, every day, help me to love you with all of my heart and all of my mind because I can't do it in my own strength. Peter, he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You're trying to love me, Peter, in your own strength, and you have failed. And then he says at the end of it, follow me. Peter, you're going to have to rely totally on me to even give you this kind of love so that you will, in fact, love me more than these. By grace, the promise of a rejoicing heart in God alone will be the cause of caring to evangelize. It will be about operating from the platform of our forgiveness and not our brokenness, and it will be because we have asked God for that kind of love. It's simple, but it's not a regular part of our lives. It's what's missing in the wider church and in many of the people of God. It's the grace of God that's unleashed by prayer to produce authentic, passionate love for God. There's no other way. From start to finish, God wants us, demands of us that we totally rely on him for everything he commands of us. We can only get it by asking for it, relying on him to give it to us that we may in turn love him. When we do this, embrace the grace of Jesus who builds us from brokenness through forgiveness, we will have effectiveness in mission. And we will have a holy passion for Christ by his grace so that our service will come from a platform of joy and of a rejoicing heart that experiences our desire for Christ outstripping all other competition. Without this, without this, we are just going through the religious motions. Just mechanical strategies just church growth principles and policies and tactics. And most of all of these things work at Walmart too. But what we are missing, desperately missing, in many churches and with many people, we are missing that holy desire for Christ above all other the presence of God so thick that you can reach out and touch it. A passion for Christ that, that brings our sin to the front and causes us to chase it out of our lives. An experience that people join in on and come into from a lost situation and long to embrace what they see and what they experience. On vacations, I get opportunities, lots of opportunities to go to other churches. 
And for the most part, honestly, I'm left feeling empty, not filled when I leave. But there's one church other than Calvary Baptist Oshawa that never, ever disappoints. And that church is found in Brooklyn, New York. It's called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And I am firmly, firmly convinced that the people of that church have discovered the key. They were broken, and now they're forgiven. And they minister from the platform of their forgiveness with joy and rejoicing. And they have learned to ask God to help them to love him. Now, I'm not talking about copying some other model from some other church. You can't copy what is real. It either is or it isn't. My appeal to Calvary Baptist Church is that people would come into this place and be able to cut the presence of God with a knife and say, surely God is among them. And surely this people love God with all of their heart and he is their holy desire. And as that is so and increasingly so in our congregation because I believe with all of my heart that it is growing, growing strongly here we will encounter many people coming to know Christ as Savior and Lord. How does authentic evangelism, how does, it, how does caring to evangelize come about? It comes about when we finally come to the place where we function from forgiveness. And in a few moments, we're going to celebrate that. And when we have come to the place when our prayer life is filled with asking God to enable us to love him with all of our hearts. It won't come from your own strength. It is a gift of God to those who already love him and know him. Our Father, would you do a fresh work in our hearts and lives so that recruitment for the kingdom, evangelism, would flow from our hearts of joy and rejoicing. Would you remove those barriers and obstacles, the barrier of guilt and the obstacle of competing dreams and interests? and desires. Lord, free us by our forgiveness and enable us by your grace through prayer to love you more than these, I pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Is this asking for a heart of love uniquely found 
in John 21 with Peter and Jesus, I would suggest to you that it's found throughout all the scriptures. In fact, in the psalm, psalmist, uh, the psalmist David writes this in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. One thing I ask of the Lord that I would long to be in your presence all the time and gaze at your beauty and love you the way you've commanded me to love you. If David had to ask, and Peter had to ask, and Paul had to ask, Rick has to ask, and so do you. Ask him for that kind of love. And all the other desires of the world will fade far, far back into the distance. As a church family, we want to remember Carolyn Humphreys, who lost her mom this week. And the funeral service will be here Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock. Remember Carolyn as you pray this week. And we'll see you back tonight for Pastor Dwayne's ordination and Wednesday night at 9.15 right here for these important, important times for our church family. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this time with you. It has been rich. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for loving us. Oh God, we want to love you the way you ask us to, the way you command us to. But we can't do this on our own. We need you, by your grace, to cause this to happen in our hearts and our lives that we might have the cause of caring for evangelism as an outworking of the joy and rejoicing you want us to have in you, O oh God, as our only desire, for Jesus' sake. Amen.